This is Urban Tiger Radio, a project supported by CybermouseMultimedia.com, sponsors of our free weekly podcasts. Search for Urban Tiger Radio in the iTunes Store or on Stitcher.com and hit the subscribe button to receive free automatic downloads. Please remember to share and rate our show before you leave. This week's episode is definitely not one for the children, so if you manage to get your children switched on here by listening to the Wind in the Willows and the Open Road, which are children's podcasts, and you will find on Children's Hour, Urban Tiger Radio 2, then steer them away from this one, please, because this one is fully explicit. This is a story entitled Blood Moon, and it has everything. Sun, sand, sea, sex, violence, blood, and... uh, Sunshine, what more could you wish for on your average holiday? Blood Moon by Bill Allerton They run like this for a quarter mile, Tom twenty feet or so behind her, watching the sinews turn and twist in her ankles, striking a line from the inside of her calf around the back of the knee and along the inner thigh where her tiny swimsuit wraps its pink lycra against tight little buttocks. Her legs are long and smooth. Her toes leave small deep swirls in the hard sand as she runs up onto the balls of her feet. He paces her along the water's edge, occasionally dipping his feet in and out of the surf, feeling it splash cold against his legs while she avoids it entirely. She steps up the pace whenever he comes close. He wonders how she knows this, then hears the sound of his own feet clipping the water. He drifts sideways onto the silence of the hard-packed sun. The soles of her feet flash white at him, strobe-like, adding to the hypnotic fascination that has dragged him from his towel to follow her down the beach. To his left, the sea crashes and sucks gently, the sound pushed almost beyond his awareness by the erotic ease of her movement. Without warning, she slows. Tom steps up a gear to pace alongside her. She turns her face, and he almost stumbles in shock. Hi, she says. Her breath is clean and unhurried between beautiful teeth. She smiles, and they flash quickly as the soles of her feet. Her eyes crease against the sun. It's okay, she says, against the look on his face. You aren't the first. I'm... Tom eases back on his stride to stay alongside her as she slows to a standstill. Not the first... what? The first to do a double take, she says. Like the one you just did. Tom draws a deep breath and leans forward, fingers wrapping his knees. He shudders the breath back out. I thought for a moment. I knew you. Liar, she says then spins on one heel to set off back along the beach. Tom sets off after her, his feet short-cutting the curb and slapping hard against the slow foam of the waves. Hey! She keeps on running, 
Tom notices he's falling behind. He steps up another gear, finds himself chasing her, mesmerised again by the sudden white flash of her feet. Soon he's pacing her, twenty feet behind and almost too tired to use his last breath in a shout. Hey! She stops abruptly, mid-stride, and hangs her head. Her features slide around in the shade, light playing across them as she turns to face him. The sun picks out the lines of sweat from her hairline, the way it turns to run along the wrinkles and creases around her mouth. Her eyes, where crow's feet took life into the corners of a smile that might have sat more easily in a darkened bar. Hey, he says, his breath the only wind now they've stopped. She stares back at him, calm and even-faced. Hey, yourself. She lifts her face into the sun, and as the skin stretches tight across her throat, it transforms her. Once, she said. Once, said Tom. Once. You might not have stumbled, or maybe for some other reason. Maybe I would have stopped you dead in your tracks. And now, said Tom. And now you're looking at me. And now you stumbled back there at the top of the beach, and now you shouted, Hey! because you didn't believe what you saw, and from the way you're looking at me, you still don't. That's unfair, said Tom. What's fair got to do with anything? She turns and walks away. Tom watches her slender heel dip into the sand, the length of her foot roll up onto the surface where her toes dig back in to power her away along the beach, the first tension in her calves, her step begin to lift like the hull of a speedboat rising from the water. Hey! he says. She stops as she was about to run, heels sinking back into the sand. Tom follows the wake marks in her footsteps where she'd begun to lift away from him. He covers them with his own as he catches up to her. Like all young men, she says without turning, such a limited vocabulary. Tom turns his face away from her, feeling the sun burn into the back of his neck. He scans their path along the beach. His friends are nowhere in sight, and despite their company, for Tom, this had been something of a solitary holiday. This island is a strange place, a blend of couples and ages that had left him feeling isolated and uncomfortable. He digs his toes into the cooler sand just beneath the surface. I just wanted to know, he said. What, how old I am? No, no, I'm, I mean, how do you stay so fit? For my age? Anger brings a sudden heat to Tom's face. What do you want me to do, pity you because you've lived a bit? She smiles, and the sun flash of those beautiful, even teeth diffuse the anger from his face. Guess it's my turn to be sorry, she says. She jogs a short distance away across the beach. Tom looks around for where he's left his towel, realising she's led him right back there. He sits down to stretch the cramp out of his legs. She stops and turns. Hey! Hey what? says Tom. Digging and racing young men along the beach. You always win? Yeah.
she said. Tom finds her again on the third day of not looking. He's convinced himself that he'll just keep an eye out as he and his friends cruise the bars in the black heat of evening, but finds himself searching for her in the tavernas and restaurants and the floodlit pools they pass. On the third day, he decides to vary his time on the beach. The early sun might tan him better, he suggests, it being much less fierce at that time of day. Des and Jerry thought he'd already had enough. He's about to unroll his towel when he sees a slender figure digging the sand close to the edge of the surf. As the figure leans over the spade, he recognises the shape of her legs. He slides his trainers under the towel and pads out towards the edge of the sea. Hey, she says, without turning. She pushes one hand through between her knees and wriggles her fingers in a wave. Hey yourself, Tom says. How do you know it was me? I didn't. She lifts her hand from the beach to drop a coiled sandworm into the small bucket by her feet. For the fish. You keep fish, says Tom. No. Okay, says Tom. For the ones we are going to catch. She said. Okay. She stands up to grin at him. And the ones we're going to eat. Hey, says Tom. Back to hey already, she says. Like I said, such a limited vocabulary. Now, hold on, says Tom. She slides the handle of the bucket into his hand. No, you hold on to this, she says. And don't stretch your vocabulary. You don't need to around me. Tom looks around to see if they're being watched, but the sky is a blue one marred by bird or cloud and the beach still mercifully free of towels except for his. Wherever she's moved, she's left behind a small hole in the sand. The moist grains are steadily falling in as if timing turtle eggs, buried a mere handspan beneath the golden reflective layer. I didn't come here to be insulted, he says. His voice carries with it a sense of smile. She looks up to see if she's heard it properly and drops the spade so her hands can fall one each side of his broad, muscular hips. She looks him up and down, nodding once in approval. What's your name? Tom looks beyond her. They're still alone. Uh, Tom, what's yours? Helena. Nice. What about the fish? I don't know the name of the fish, she says, and her face is falling into mischief, the fading lips clipping the brilliant edge of her smile. Feel like a run, Tom? Okay. That's my boy, she says. She hoists the spade and takes off like a rocket along the beach. No matter how hard Tom pushes, she always manages to stay at least four paces in front. He runs for what seems an age of tortured breath, clinging hard to the bucket and pumping out last night's alcohol and second-hand cigarette smoke until they round the headland at the end of the beach. In the next cove, much to Tom's delight, there are several small shanties made from driftwood and tin sheets, some with TV aerials sticking crazily up on long poles sunk deep into the sand. 
he follows her footsteps to a nearby shack that nestles where an outcrop of stone has crashed like a wild winter moment of sea. Her shanty is above the ground, perched high on long poles. The floor above his head is a lattice of bamboo and salvage plywood. A short wooden ladder leads up to an old house door laid flat. She pushes this open and helps Tom up into the shade of the tin and brushwood ceiling. He lays there catching his breath, his heaving chest tiger-dappled by the sun prowling the gaps in the roof. Home, she says. Across one wall, an old couch covered by a tartan throw looks as if it has been recently occupied. Opposite that, an odd arrangement of iron plates shackled together into a semblance of a stove. Pans hang on wires fixed through the trellis walls. A collection of fishing poles lean in a corner. Beneath a blinded window sits a stash of towels, all different colours and textures, the floor around them lightly scattered with sand from their feet. An open shelf gathers a pile of knickers mixed with swimsuits between two or three worn paperbacks. A small half-cup bra swings suggestively from a hook on the wall. Home, says Tom. Most of the time. She smiles. Do you fish? No. Want to learn? Okay. She hands him a pole with a coiled line attached. Where's the bucket? Outside, by the ladder. Good, she says. I thought you'd dropped it. I'd have caught you if I hadn't been carrying that bucket, he said. She laughs out loud at that, a spark of smooth, light-blowing sound inside the shimmer of shade cast by the incompleteness of the shelter. Why did you think I gave it you to carry, she says. In the centre of the cove, between her shanty and the others, a small river bursts away across the beach to be swallowed by the sea. They stand at the edge of the ankle-deep fresh water while she bakes their hooks. Hold the pole in one hand, she says. She takes hers in her right hand, gripping it about two feet up from the bottom, and twitch the end like you were trying to shake something off it. Tom grips the pole and twitches it violently. The hook and bait snake out and jerk back in an arc, ending at his feet. He reaches down. Don't pick it up, she says, unless you know what you're doing. I've seen people catch their own thumb before they know it, and I don't want you with sore hands. Tom twitches the pole again, gently this time. And the bait flies out to where the outflow of river blends the incoming waves into a flat, irregular pool. That's right, she says. She twitches her own pole until it bends back in a practised arc, then flicks the baited hook right out to the end of the line. You've done this before, says Tom. Oh, once or twice, she says. Why here? It's where the fish like to be, she says. The fresh water brings insect larvae and things that people throw in, things the fish don't normally get to eat. They swim around just out there where the water turns salt enough for them. 
They dip in and out of the fresh water, but they never swim up here. So we have to go get them where they are. No, says Tom. You, I mean. Why here? It's as good a place as any, she said, and better stocked than most. Have you been here long? As long as I've been anywhere. She crinkles her eyes against the sunlight climbing high above the water, its fire sparking the wave tips. No one snoops here, and no one cares or comes to see what you're doing as long as it doesn't affect them. Tom presses the heel of the rod into the sand and sits down. What if you're in trouble? She does the same with her rod and sits beside him. Then, I guess, you're in trouble. Say, for instance, said Tom, if I was to take you back into the hut and try to make you see things, you know, my way. She sits, staring silently into his eyes. Tom feels the tension lift between them, and for a moment he wants to push it and see which way it will go, to see if it will rise up and surf along the sand like herself running, or if it would lightning flash back at him like the soles of her feet. Then no one would come, she says, and I'd be in trouble. He hides his expression from her then, knowing that the look on his face might push her away. For the first time since they'd met, he felt he'd surpassed her, and now she was running behind him, watching the soles of his feet lickety-splitting across the beach. The balance of power shifts between them in the silence like surf across the racing sand, until she says, And so would you. After an hour, she has six fish, and Tom has none. What are they? Tom asks, as she splits and guts them on the iron plate of the dead stove. Sardines. Hardly enough for dinner, but I have some tomatoes and other bits and pieces left over. We'll do fine. I I can't stay, says Tom. They'll be looking for me. You've seen the headline before. Englishman missing on holiday, towel and trainers found on the beach. Her face illuminates with laughter at his false concern. The folds of skin softly smooth away as the light in her eye settles down to a warm, sardonic glow. You think anyone would care, she says. You're English. They're just glad of your money and glad to see you go. My friends will wonder. The ones in the bar last night in town? The ones who tried to pull that moronic gaggle of shrieking young women, she said, while you didn't. You were there, asked Tom. While you sat there with this big question mark of a face, while you ignored them all and went home early. Where were you, says Tom. I... His face lowers in the shade and he feels the quick heat rise again. I, I looked for you. I know you did, she says but I wasn't ready to be found. Here, help me light the fire. They won't be looking for you yet. The matches are under the stove. They eat sardines straight off the stove plate with their fingers. Tom finds bread keeping cool in a bag under the couch. 
She sprinkles salt in the remaining juices, tears the bread into flat-sided chunks and presses it with her fingers onto the hot plate until it's soaked and salt-browned on one side. Tom eats until he feels stuffed. She pulls the cover from the couch and folds it roughly behind him. She puts her hand on his shoulder and pushes him gently down onto it. Wait there, she says. She lifts the door in the floor and climbs swiftly down the ladder. Tom closes his eyes and listens until the sand from her feet rasps again on the bottom rung. She climbs into the shelter and lays the door closed. In her hand is a bottle of local red wine. I bury it in the stream, she says. She passes the bottle to Tom. It's ice cool and welcome compared to the heat in the room. She throws him an opener from a wire hook on the wall. Glasses, he says. One mug. We'll share it from the bottle unless you're afraid you might catch something. Tom rubs his hand over his full stomach. Couldn't catch anything today. Ah, you're carrying the worms again, she says. No, says Tom, only the fish. And inside the fish? Oh, Jesus, he says. Right this minute they're wriggling around inside you, she says, looking for the way out. Tom laughs. Stop it. Then I think we'd better drown them in some wine, don't you? He stops laughing long enough to look her in the eye. Doesn't it worry you that no one knows I'm here, that I could do anything? She stares at him, a curious expression on her face, half mocking, half serious. She tips her head downwards, the movement itself almost an act of submission. Her eyes fall into shade where he can't read them, turning their sockets into dark and deep recesses in her skin where the folds and lines lie hidden, waiting for an appropriate expression to make its way to the surface. She lifts her eyes back to his and holds him, steady and fearless. Should it? she says. You never know, said Tom. Beside his man's body she seems inordinately small and slender, twig-like, ultimately vulnerable. They sit together, their legs pointing in opposite ways like the hands of a clock. The straps of her costume shrink away from the bones of her shoulders and deep hollows form where the musculature of her arms and neck meet, the fine tone of her body showing the bones open and apart. Tom touches her gently with the tip of his finger, tracing it around the hollow before lifting the edge of the material with his nail and sliding his finger into the space between lycra and skin. He moves it gently, backwards and forwards. I went to kiss the feet of the saint, she says. She closes her eyes and sways slightly until the soft, downy hairs of her arm mingle with the darker, coarser ones of his. They bring him out of the church once a year and carry him around the town in an upright glass casket. Her weight shifts and she leans against him with an unexpected lightness of touch. There's a hole in the bottom, she says, where his foot peeks through. 
Once a year they gave him a new pair of gold slippers. It's supposed to be good luck to kiss them. I went early. I can't get near them on Saint's Day. Is he dead? said Tom. She smiles to herself. Not for long, four, maybe five hundred years. Long enough, says Tom. He passes her the opened wine bottle. She does no more than wet her lips before passing it back. He was buried on the hill above town, she said. When they dug him up thirty years later, he was still perfect. As the procession passes, people throw themselves under the casket to be cured. Does it work? Sometimes, I guess, she said. Tom slides two more fingers under the strap and lifts it clear of her shoulder to rest against her arm. When are you leaving? she asks abruptly. Sorry, says Tom. I shouldn't have done that. He lifts the strap back into place on her shoulder. She shrugs it off again and leans into him. No, I meant for home. Oh, said Tom, next Sunday. You'll be here then, for Saint's Day. She touches his hand with a finger. Next Saturday. Tom takes her shoulder in his hand, empowered by the way the small bones are completely hidden inside his palm and fingers. When they fire the stubble, she says. Tom moves his hand around, watching his skin pass possessively over hers. He slides it to her neck and notices the way his fingers fasten easily around it. She closes her eyes, and a small, impulsive swallow disturbs her throat, rippling downwards beneath his fingers. For a split second, he squeezes. Her breath catches in her throat, and she becomes still beneath his hand, except for the quickening pulse inside her. He relaxes his grip. Along the peninsula, she says, the smoke turns the sunset into an inferno. He studies her face in silence. She speaks again without opening her eyes. You should see the moon. I've seen moons, says Tom. Not like this. Moons aren't special, he says. Moons become special, she says, when you're old. How can you tell? Because I am very, very old. Tom watches her face and the way she moves within her skin. Liar, he says. With his thumb, he stretches her throat until lines disappear. His fingers spread across her face, smoothing behind them. They push into her hairline until the skin flattens and shines with an inner glow. He watches the years of light slowly working their way outwards from where the sun has pushed it deep into her bones. He recalls her every movement, flowing and constant as a trade wind as she ran the beach. Within the breadth of his fingers is the weight of every smile she has ever made. Lifting her face to his, he contemplates her lips. They are full now and slightly parted with anticipation. Behind them are perfect teeth, and something inside him clicks. I know you, he says. He lifts her face all the way to his, and kisses her smile. She shudders a deep breath. No, no, you don't. I do, I'm sure. 
You only think you do, she says. It's more than that, says Tom. I think you're famous. No. You are. I know it. No, look, maybe, maybe once. A very long time ago. No one stops being famous, says Tom. They send you to video heaven and immortalise you on a little silver disc. What if I don't want to live forever, she says. Tom thinks for a moment. If I killed you now, he said, you'd be even more famous. I don't want to be famous, she says. But you'd live again, Tom grips her shoulders tightly. They'd drag out a celluloid, turn back the clock and parade you all over the television. For fifteen minutes, she says. Tom laughs, relaxing his grip. Fifteen minutes is a long time in immortality these days. It isn't, she says, and the longer you live, the harder it gets. You stack up all the things you've ever needed to do, and come the morning, the weight of all that keeps you pinned to the bed. He laughs. You look like a woman who's been pinned to the bed. She kisses him quickly and lightly. I'll admit to once or twice, she says, in a very, very long career. Tom stands and lifts her to her feet. She comes clear off the floor as if she contains no substance at all. No wonder you run so fast, he says. She slips the strap off her other shoulder. Stepping out of the swimsuit, she moves up against him. Her tan is complete. Her body is tight and lithe as any woman a third of her age. Tom slips out of his shorts and his body rears against her, pressing hard into her tight belly. She stands on tiptoe to whisper something darkly indistinct in his ear. Tom wakes on the couch with the sun streaming through the roof. The shack is empty and the last thing he remembers is holding her naked in the middle of this room. He grabs his shorts and climbs down the ladder to find her, but the beach is entirely empty. He waits a while, then returns along the shore. His towel and trainers are still where he'd left them. Back at the apartment, there's a note on the breakfast bar. Moved into the Terrazzo Hotel with Cheryl and Leslie. Don't wank yourself, silly. See you at the airport a week on Sunday, Des and Jerry. Tom spends the next two days pacing the beach, walking the bars alone at night and visiting the shanty in the cove. He waits for her outside, sitting in the flow of cold water from the river. He wants, and only the once, opened the door from the ladder and looked in. It was as if he'd walked away just a moment ago, except that the half-cooked bra was missing. From the river water, he watches people from the other shanties further along the cove. They never look his way, and he never seeks to attract them. As they walk past, their skin burned dark as honeyed toast. They ignore him totally. On the third day, Tom is asleep on the beach, under a book in the early sun. The pages lift from his face, and sudden sunlight breaks open the lids of his eyes. He looks around and for a moment can see nothing but the glare of sun and the bright shatter of water across the beach. Then in the midst of it all, a pair of lean, tanned legs hurrying away from him to run the water margin. He lurches to his feet 
and stumbles off after them. Hey! She looks over her shoulder briefly and steps up a gear. Tom follows, staggering, his heart struggling to restore the blood flow to his still-sleeping muscles. He eases back as he realises she is heading towards the cove. He slows to a steady jog as she powers away into the distance. The cove is deserted when he arrives. The shanties further along look the same as before, TV aerials clawing wildly at the sky, wisps of pale smoke slanting from one steel chimney and the faint scent of frying sardines sharpening the still air. Her shanty seems quiet and empty. Somewhere along the way he's lost her footsteps and the only recent ones lead away from the foot of her ladder. Tom retraces them and climbs pushing the trapdoor open above his head. Inside, sunlight wickers the shaded room. In a few places it sears bar-like and solid. Tom walks slowly through, as if it has substance. On the stove are desiccated sardine heads, scrapings of dry tomato skin and bread. In the centre of the room he stops and turns around, arms outstretched, fingertips wide and sweat, drying on the little webs of skin. He shooks off his swim shorts and stands naked, enjoying the sunlight striping his skin. There is a scent in the room, perhaps no more than his memory. He closes his eyes, touches himself, and his penis rears in his hand. He opens them again to find the edge of the door lifted and her eyes watching him. Tom is amazed that she is not in the least embarrassed. She climbs up through the opening to stand beside him. He moves his hand forward and touches her anywhere so long as he can feel her skin on his. She takes his penis in the feather touch of one long-fingered hand. She moves it slowly and Tom throws back his head to gasp. She reaches up and pulls his face down to hers, kissing his mouth, her lips wide and searching, her tongue parting his teeth and forcing it way through his mouth. He wraps it with his, and stands there, trembling. She places her hand under his chin and lifts. Slowly, their mouths tear apart and his head is pushed back until he can see nothing but the roof of the hut and the light that pours through it and pulses his eyes. He sways while she manipulates his body in a way he had never dreamed possible. Tom drops to his knees on the towel-covered floor. She unhooks the swimsuit straps from her shoulders and slowly sheds it, moving snake-like to ease it past her hips. The heat from her exposed skin falls in waves upon his. With eyes still closed, he leans forward to bury his lips into the soft skin of her belly. She places both hands behind his head to massage his neck and ears, running her fingers through the short hairs, and with one dark finger traces ley lines beneath his skin that only she knew existed. Tom is kissing her belly. Harder now, frantically grinding his tongue into her navel. 
she leans down to whisper something in his ear, and the tremors leave him. His muscles relax, and his penis softens. He is at a place of perfect ease. He has no sense of aftershock. His penis is still dry, and the ache of unspent seed is subsiding in his groin with no regret. Not yet, she says. She helps him to his feet. Come with me. She takes him by the hand to lead him willing and naked through the trapdoor and down the ladder. They walk to where the river cascades across the sand. Lie down, she says. Without hesitation, Tom settles himself into the flow of crystal water. His back finds the sun-warmed sand below its surface and relaxes. She picks up a handful of fine sand to gently scrub the soles of his feet. Tom shuts down the contradictions of hot sun and cool water while the rest of his existence becomes centred on her touch. Taking each leg in turn, she scrubs away an old layer of sun-scorched skin from Tom's body. She sits astride him, lifting him, turning him, chasing every hidden fold and secret place of his body until Tom understands that no one could know him better than this. She helps him to his feet, and his skin blazes with a soft fire. His face shines out like a beacon. He has never been so alive. He takes her hands in his. My turn, he says. She lays down by the edge of the water and gives herself up to his hands. Tom is careful, as she had been, but the touch of his hands and the scent of cool water splashed across her skin alone are enough to bring her body swelling up to meet his fingertips. He helps her to her feet, and his body responds to her glowing nakedness. He crosses the stream in two strides to find himself on the other side of the river, towards the other shanties. Let's take a quick run up this side of the beach to dry off, he says. He sets off a couple of steps, then realises she isn't following. I... I can't, she says. She turns away from him to walk back to her side of the cove. Tom runs back to catch her. What's the matter? This is my side of the beach, she says. I never go over there. Is is there someone over there you don't want to see? Is that it? Something like that, she says. I can't tell you why, not yet. Maybe not ever. Tom finds himself inexplicably angry. He grips her hard by the shoulders until her feet leave the floor. I could make you. You couldn't, she says. Or if you could, you might as well kill me now. I don't want to make you that famous, said Tom. And he wonders why the words filter through his teeth the way a lie does. I just want to make love to you, he says. Then come with me. She leads him by the hand back to the shanty, where the only sounds are the mix of distant slow waves and the deeply uneven rack of their own breath. A sharp pungency of dried sardines and tomatoes descends over the bright sharp cleave of their own fresh bodies. Tom 
sinks to his knees and begins to kiss her. He searches with his thumbs until he opens the bright pinks and gentle scarlets he'd found by the side of the stream. He presses his face against them, and the tip of his tongue reaches out to enter her. To his surprise, she's tight, almost virginal. He pushes harder until the warmth of her flesh grips the whole of his tongue. Her legs stiffen under his hand, and his penis rears between his folded thighs. She places a hand each side of his face and lifts him to his feet. She pushes his chin backwards with one hand until he stares once more at the roof before closing his eyes. Her perfect white teeth close around the crown of his penis. Her tongue is like nothing he could have imagined. He wants her now. His hands fill with her hair as he lifts her roughly to her feet. He drops her carelessly on the couch, covering her with his body, the fingers of his left hand reaching for an opening into her. She lifts her mouth to his ear and whispers two indistinct words. Tom sags against her like a corpse. She slides out from beneath him to sit at his side, stroking his penis and admiring the way his so young body holds itself together as if it were freshly stitched into new skin. He is still hard, even while asleep like this, and while he sleeps she fills her mouth with him, squatting at his side with knees apart, her own sex open and protruding. With a long, bony finger, she spreads the wet lips and slowly finds her own satisfaction. She picks her swimsuit from the floor and leans down to kiss his eyes. Tomorrow, she says. When Tom awakes, she is gone. While he waits for her return, the sun falls below the roof of the shanty to bleed fire through the walls, the air around him latticed with sunset flame. He sits on the couch and closes his eyes again, trying to recapture why it was he'd thought he'd known her. Or perhaps he'd just dreamed that he knew her. He walks back along the beach to the apartment for a shower. Dressed for the evening in slacks and shirt, Tom makes his way back to the shanty. At the foot of the ladder he calls softly, but there is no reply. He pushes open the trapdoor and climbs up into the darkened room. Stars shine here, feathering in and out of existence against the roof as he moves. He's made up his mind to wait for her, however long that takes. In the bag he carries, there is bread, an imported wine, a small round local cheese and a quarter kilo of thickly sliced ham. He makes his way cautiously to where he knew the couch was. He leans against it and touches warm skin. He recoils at once, falling back onto the bag. Hey! he whispers. There is no reply only the ear-bursting sound of his own snatched breath and his heart in his throat. Hey! He reaches out to touch her arm. 
She makes no move, but he feels the warmth of her flesh and the small, slow pulse in her wrist. He sits on the floor with his back to the couch. He clasps his arms around his knees and waits. After a while, in which the moon broached the roof and replaced the stars, he tries to wake her again. She makes no sound at all. In the semi-darkness, he runs his hand across her body. She's naked. He strokes her skin. In the dark, she's flawless. He kisses her perfect nipple and it puckers erect as if his lips had been a winter's breath. He strokes around her eyes with a fingertip and finds no trace of lines. The crow's feet around her lips have fallen away to be replaced by soft, moonlit skin. He touches her hair. He touches her hair. It's soft and clean, seemingly untouched by the years of sun and salt winds with room for many more still to come. He closes his fingers around her arm and shakes her gently. There is no response. He shakes harder, but she lays there wrapped only by the darkness, entirely extinguished except for the slow, steady pulse in her wrist and the shallow butterfly of her breath. Tom could never have explained the anger that surged through him. It came from somewhere animal, deep inside, an old echo, but at once instinctive and raw. He thought at first it was born of the way she controlled him, dismissing his own needs and replacing them with her own, but no, it came from much, much further down than that. The fingers of one hand close around her slender throat, relaxing only as he brings his instinct to kill under control once more. He lifts her from the couch by her shoulders to shake her awake, the blonde of her hair chipping the moonlight bars striking through the hut. There's no response to his effort. Tom drops her back on the couch and fumbles around for the stove. He finds the metal leg and searches around it for where he'd seen her stashed a matchbox. His hand closes around them. He pushes her into a sitting position and strikes a match. The winnowing light sheds shadows across her features as the match sways in his hand. He cups his eyes to shield them from the brightness of the flame so he can study her face. She is beautiful. With the light from the flame, she seems on fire herself, her skin filled with a joy and serenity. Her eyes open wide. The match burns his fingers before she blows it out. The darkness envelops him again, deeper than before, and this time with a bright orange ball inside his eyes beyond which he can't see. Her hand touches his face, and Tom chokes on a half-drawn breath. Hey, she says softly, I said tomorrow. You don't understand, says Tom. I want you now. No, she says tomorrow. No, not tomorrow. I want you now. So much that it hurts. Make the pain go away. No. Tom rips open his shirt. Sliding out of his slacks, he stands naked in the darkness. Wait, she says. Wait. Here. Let me touch you. In the darkness, she takes him. 
manipulating him in slender fingers that make shapes only his mind can see. Her touch stands all of his consciousness along one vivid knife edge. His instinctive senses retreat inwardly, afraid of the fire she is creating around the end of his penis. Stop that! He wrenches himself away. His hands find her shoulders in the darkness and he throws her back onto the couch. He falls across her and his knees force open her legs. She screams in his ear, Tomorrow! No, says Tom, right now or never. But this isn't right, not the way I wanted. She gasps under his weight, forcing his mouth away from hers. I have to see the moon. Tom braces himself above her. The face he'd seen by match flare as bright in the eye of his desire as if she'd been struck instead by moonlight. When I make love I have to see the moon, she says, red with the smoke from the burning stubble. It has to be a bright full-blood moon or I can't go all the way back. And the fires aren't started until Saint's Day, not until tomorrow. What about what I want, said Tom. Tomorrow, she says, there'll be a moon like you'll never see again. No, he says, now, his hand thrust between her legs, roughly parting the fragile opening of her body. And again tomorrow. No, wait. She relaxes under him. The defensive arch of her body gives way, accepting him. Not like that, she says. She pushes his hand away and strokes his erection. She uses the wetness of the tip to gently moisten the edges of her hidden lips. Here. Like this. She pulls him deep inside her. The constriction of her body breaking his skin as she forces him deep. She breathes two indistinct arcane words and in one split second he begins to orgasm. She pulls his lifted head down to hers and moves her lips upon his mouth. He opens it wide and her tongue pushes inside. He sucks her into him, filling his mouth and throat with her dark, fleshy heat until he feels the end harden and roll into a tube which forces its way past his own tongue, pushing inwards, choking off his breath. He tries to pull away, but the arms wrapped around his head crush him ever tighter to her. Her tongue pushes deeper until it tears the fragile larynx, crushing brachia and aeoli, mixing the blood draining into his lungs with her own saliva before severing the path of a major artery. In the length of a single orgasm, she drains him completely. A silver moon passes slowly over the tin sheeting, rippling its pale silk through the walls and across their entwined bodies. She wakes and pushes Tom to the floor with an unnatural ease. She lifts the trapdoor to slide him down the ladder to the sand below. She picks up the spade and begins to dig. Three feet down, a pile of white bones lift light out of the sand. She throws the shriveled remains of Tom and his ripped clothes on top of them and shovels the sand back in, smoothing the surface with her feet. She climbs back up the ladder and closes the trap.
as she runs the beach next morning. A young man is waiting by the edge of the surf. He steps into her path. Hey, he says. She slows and stops to answer him. Oh, sorry, he says. For what? I thought... You thought I was younger, eh? Well, no, he says. A lot older, actually. That's all right, then. She laughs brightly at his discomfort. I was once. He shakes off the absurdity of the comment. I'm looking for my friend, he says. We haven't seen him for days and we fly back tomorrow. Someone said they'd seen him running along the beach after a blonde with long, tanned legs. At first, I thought, but they said she was much older than you. I think I should be flattered, she says. Anyway, sorry to have bothered you. No bother. Hey, she says, her teeth flashing white inside the smile. Anybody ever tell you you're cute? Only my mom, he says. She laughs out loud and spreads her arms around him in a half circle. Fine-toned muscles ripple inside her pink swimsuit. Hey, you're fit, he says. She takes his hand in hers and spreads the fingers with her own. His skin is full and flushed with youth in a way that makes her despair for far more centuries than she cares to remember. It has been wasted on the young. But you know that, he says. How do you... What, she says, stay that way? Yeah. Hmm, she laughs, digging and racing young men along the beach. Well, that's all for this week's show, folks. I hope you enjoyed your free podcast from Urban Tiger Radio. And if you've hit that subscribe button, you'll be hearing from us again in a week's time. So it's a goodbye from me and a... From Nelly. Goodbye. See a safe to harbor